Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. Um, we've got a great interview lined up later on with uh, writer Leonardo Ramirez, who's um, who's got an excellence on like a series of novels, which is basically in a steampunk unit, a steampunk type universe that we'll be talking about later on. Um, but before we get to that, um, I have Raisa with me, and we're basically going to review the last two weeks of Doctor Who because we kind of missed a week last week. How are you doing, Raisa? I'm doing well, thanks. Okay, so um, Doctor Who reviews. Um, let's see, where do we start? Uh, the we, we start with uh, with Flatline, which mm-hmm. was last week's one, mm-hmm. and um, ignoring the arc stuff for later. Let's just deal with the standalone plots. I thought the standalone plot of Flatline was excellent. I thought the, uh, the the special effects were quite good. I thought the uh, the two D um, the two D graffiti that that they used then translate into three D uh, creature effects was quite excellent. So shout out to the uh, production staff for just being artistic and actually putting that together well. Um, the performances were extremely good. I've I've really been enjoying Capaldi throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I enjoyed it as well um, on on those level levels uh, as well. I mean, there was there was a guy in that I can't remember the na- name of the actor, but um, he's he, he was up until uh, a couple of weeks ago um, a series regular in in a television drama we have here in the UK called Casualty, mm. and he played a he played a, a paramedic in that. You know, he drove he drove an ambulance and stuff like that. Anyway, he died a couple of weeks ago in casualty. And he was written mm-hmm. out, and the funny thing is, he was so like uh, in in flat line, and he was pretty much written out of that as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's not really had much luck. Oh dear! <laughs> That's kind of watching. I thought, oh poor Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'll yeah. find something else. Mm-hmm. But I, I did I did enjoy that one as a standalone uh, episode and thought it was really good that we got to see Clara standing on her own two feet and so like uh, having an opportunity to become the Doctor sort of yes, thing. Yes, yes. And, uh. it, you know, looking at the teaser for this week's episode, the first part of the finale, it looks like there was quite a bit of foreshadowing in that line. Yes. Uh-huh. In, so, in so, so many ways. Um, because the, the, the training for, for the uh, finale looks like Clara is going to turn bad. Yeah, or so, something is along those lines. It looks like Missy may have been 
controlling her through the fragments or mm-hmm. something like something like that. Yeah, um, but not, not quite sure what's going on there. I'm not even going to try and guess because Moffat could go any number of directions, any of which that would make sense in context, and he's gonna, it's just dealer's choice which one he chooses to go with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, it's not even worth speculating about until we see it. Well, I, I liked it. It was definitely a strong episode. It was as, it was as strong story wise as a Mummy on the Orient Express. And, you know, interestingly enough, it was the same writer that did both of those. So. Yeah, same writer, and um, uh, what's interesting is that that writer, Jamie Matheson, did a Twitter Q&A um, shortly, I think, after the... Uh, this episode aired two important points came out of that one is that he did not write the missy scene for flatline moffat wrote it even though moffat's name is not on the episode moffat wrote the missy scene so moffat is in charge of everything arc related uh, regardless of whether his name is uh, on there or not the other thing that's interesting is that they double banked his two episodes because all of the scenes where capaldi's 12 is trapped in the shrinking tardis Mm-hmm. When those scenes were filmed, Clara was trapped on the Orient Express with Maisie in the compartment. Ah, so it's just convenient to, uh, to to have those episodes back-to-back anyway. Yes. Due to yes. the way, way, way it was scheduled filming-wise. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, I, think we, I think we both agreed that um, Flatline was actually a pretty strong episode in its own right. Um, yes. Pretty lame and pretty weak where, where this story arc is concerned, but then again, you can say the same about the entire season so far. Yes, I. unless something happens in the final two episodes to justify what we've been watching, I feel like the arc elements for this entire season have been a case of um, somewhere between intense and execution. There's things went wrong. You can kind of see what they're trying to do, but it's like they just haven't gotten there. Mm-hmm. And I, and, I, and I don't know if it's because Moffat is busy in all, on other projects or whether it's because he has different other priorities uh, in in these episodes and just didn't balance everything because he had, you know, different different pacing because he had to pace an entire season as opposed to splitting seasons or what. But something went wrong with the pacing. And, some, and because of that, some things were not realised as effectively as they could have been. Personally, I think they should, um, you know, I think they should actually drop the story arcs now. They should. Um, I think they should actually go to standalone episodes or, or just do two-part episodes. You know, do 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 six two part episodes over 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 twelve episode season. That's you know? that's what they did with Sarah Jane Adventures, and that format worked very well for Sarah Jane Adventures. And you know, if they want to put you know mini arcs within 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 that season, um, then do do that. But don't 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 so like uh, do do massive big story arc now because I think it's kind of like uh, Dots Who's been on the air now for what eight years. Uh... Yes. It's been back yeah. for eight years and every single season has had some arc or other. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like, a, it feels like they've gone to the well too many times and I think we need to go back to a more serialised format. Yeah, and if they, if, if they want arc you know, elements, just do some light, light threading or something like that. I just, I feel like because the pacing is the way that's been this season, it almost doesn't matter how they resolve this two-parter. It's not, it's not going to gel. Okay, uh, last episode um, that we're seeing was into the. It was uh, in the in the forest of the night, which is a refer- <clears throat> reference to a William Blake poem um, called "The Tiger." It's it's a tiger, tiger burning bright in the forest of, of the, the night. night. Yeah. Yes. 
What immortal hand or eye uh, frames your fearful symmetry? That's the first verse. Mm -hmm. And the th interesting thing about the poem is that if you look at the whole poem, it's actually quite beautiful and extremely thematically apt. It's about identity and it's about um, relationship with higher powers, which um, looks to be the crux thematically of, of this season for both Clara and the Doctor. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I uh, I watched the episode, and for me, it's probably the, I won't say it's the weakest episode of the series so far, but it's certainly, you know, it's certainly the second weakest. I think the problem is that, um, here, here's the problem. This season thematically has been the most adult season we've had, which is a double-edged sword when you've got a family show. And you've got it there there've got to be episodes where you throw the kids a bone. Mm -hmm. And this was that episode. Yeah. It was, it was kind of a, it, you know, like, like I say, it was kind of weak. It so like it just it just seemed to be there just to connect the dots to go from A to B. Yeah. And yeah. and that's all it really did for me. It didn't really do anything special. Um, I felt the environmental message of it was sort of like uh, hitting you over the head with a with 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 a blunt implement. But yeah. at the same time, the actual science of the episode was a bit dodgy because if you had that many trees. And, and stuff like that, you know, they they wouldn't they wouldn't stop the sun from fucking, you know, they they you know, ev everyone would sort of like uh, would would die because there'd be too much flipping oxygen. Yeah, by the you same know? token, you could say that about Kill the Moon. And the interesting thing about Kill the Moon is that this episode is thematically the flip side of Kill the Moon, in that um, instead of the Doctor manipulating Clara, Clara manipulates the Doctor mm -hmm. to leave, and she he actually echoes some of her dialogue from Kill the Moon. So there was, you know, there was that thematic link. I mean, I thought the, I thought the relationship between the Doctor and the little girl was fun. That was fun. And that, that, that worked fun. pretty well and provided some of the humour. Um, and the, the young actress that played the little girl, she was pretty good. Um, if anything, that, that was perhaps the strongest element of the, of the entire story. Yes. Was, and was in fact, fact I, I was, I was left wondering, um, if, if, if she was going to be a potential companion or something when she grew up in about 10 years. <laughs> Because that, that, that's the sort of um, that's the sort of setup that we had with Amy Pond and knowing Moffat, I was wondering because you know, he tends to recycle elements. I was wondering if he was setting up another version of that. But yeah, who knows? I'm kind of hoping he's not because we've had Amy Pond, and um, you know whether you're a big fan of that or not, you know, you know we've we've had that story element where. The doctor sort of like meets someone as a little girl and then sort of like uh, hangs out with the woman that that the little girl becomes sort of thing in in the uh, in 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 the whole Amy Pond thing and you know he he even did it with Clara because the doctor Eleven met uh, a child Clara in a prequel that that's true but you know sort of like it wasn't as you know it it, it was a prequel that was on the web yes and yeah. you know is is good as those are not everyone watches those it's true sort of thing so um, whereas everyone would have watched the uh, the whole relationship between Amy Pond and the Doctor unfold that's you know? true it's, uh, that's true but yeah I, I'm kind of hoping. He doesn't do that because it's kind. Of, we've kind of been there, done that. Wore the t-shirt sort of thing. I think what they need to do in 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 future adventures is 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 go back to you know may, maybe having pick up a companion from a different time period for God's sake. Like, yeah. like they did in the you know they they seem to have they seem to have been become too fixated on having his companions, having his regular companions from the twentieth cent from from the twenty first century. You know yeah. from our present. 
and I think they should actually make you know be more fun to um to, to have 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 him paired up with somebody from from Victorian England or, or or somebody from a far more naive time where 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 there wasn't as much technology or even have have him paired up with somebody from the far long future. What I would what I would like, and this is going to be pie in the sky, but I would I would really like it. Um, and it would actually tie into Capaldi's background. He's a a, um, a graduate of the of Glasgow School of Art, and he sketches quite well. Mm-hmm. And um, and I would actually like a companion that allows him to integrate his art background into the Doctor's character. So that you can actually have some interesting themes, like he could stumble into a situation where he ends up with a ballerina who is coming to the end of her career. Because ballerinas' careers are very, very short. They're like athletes. They've got like 10 years Mm -hmm. where they can do what they can do. And then after that, they, they start to fall down and fall out of it. And uh, what what we could do is they could have um, an, an an aging ballerina who's in her you know mid twenties maybe or or even or even younger because uh, Summer Glau talks about how she was in her late teens when her career ended and she had to switch over to acting. And what what he could do is they could they could highlight the the ironies of of aging, the fact that this uh, young ballerina is with this seemingly you know this very old man, and she can talk about the fact that she still feels very old because at the age of twenty whatever her career is over because her body is is aging and because ballerinas just get older faster physically speaking, and she just can't do it anymore, and she's looking for a plan B. And he becomes her plan B, mm-hmm. and the two and the two of them um, explore art, and so you, you would actually get a lot more episodes like Vincent and the Doctor, you know, and things like that. Vincent and the Doctor is one of my favorite Eleventh Doctor episodes. I yeah, it. it's it's actually um, it's actually up there as my favorite, to be honest. Um, it's Vincent and the Doctor. It's it's beautiful. It's yeah. absolutely wonderful storytelling. Um, you know, so like uh, it's one it's one I often go back to. It's so like um, it's same with the. Uh, with with the ninth Doctor Adventures, uh, the one I always go back to is the uh, one with Simon Cangall, where he meets oh, yes, Charles the Dickens. Oh yes, yeah. one of my one of my favorite Mark Gatiss episodes. You know, so yes. I, I, I I love that episode. Uh, I love the you know that for me is 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 a they never did a Christmas episode with Christopher Eccleston, but if they if they had a done, I would have been quite happy watching watching that extended version of that episode on Christmas Day. Mm. You know, it's yeah. it's certainly better written and um, and a better story than, than than the Christmas episodes that we've had. Yes, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that's that's even counting the ones that uh, that Stephen Moffat has done. Yeah, I feel like once he became showrunner, um, his 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 attention span just hasn't been the same because his episodes are haven't been as good as the episodes he wrote just as a guest writer on someone else's show when he was writing under Russell T Davies. Mm-hmm. And I, I think maybe he's just too busy with Sherlock. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but the, the quality has taken a downturn. Well, I think I think it's he's probably busy with Sherlock, but you know, you've also got to remember, he, as as a showrunner, he's probably the most interviewed person, uh, second only to Pete Capaldi, that's True. involved with Doctor Who. So that's going to take up a lot more time. Whereas, so like, um, so so that and that's going to eat away at time that that he'd be that he'd normally be spent 
and in writing sort of thing. So there's a lot more. He's got to deal with a hell of a lot more than than, than he would have would have had to have dealt with when he when he was just a guest writer. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it makes me wish that we we got us another showrunner and that Moffat just went back to being a, a guest writer again because his strongest episodes were when he didn't have to worry about other stuff. Do you do you know what I think the best for Doctor Who? What if they had a showrunner come on it that wasn't even a fan of Doctor Who? That would help. I know, but that would maybe help because I think I think with the fans, you know, the fans writing Doctor Who, it's kind of like become sort of the the the, the, the inclination is to write the the fan the fanboys' wet dream. Yeah, you know, for example, Cybermen versus the Daleks. Uh, to me, that that should never have happened. No, that should never have happened. And I'm I'm getting I'm getting a a fan's wet dream from whatever this is going to be coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 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 hoping it's I'm hoping it's not going to be that. I'm hoping um, one one advanced review I read. I won't. They didn't give many spoilers, but the the impression I got from the advanced review is that whatever we think is going on with Missy isn't entirely what we think is going on with Missy, which I'm I'm actually glad of. Um, death is going to be dealt with in a in a literal way. It's not metaphorical. It's more literal. Uh, so so basically, um, basically Clara is going to die, or it, it's going to turn out that she was mostly dead to begin with. And when 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 River Song said that uh, she was still connected to Clara and in the in the time stream, but she wasn't connected to what she thought she was, or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Okay, well, so it'd be be interesting to watch it on 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 Saturday. Yeah. Uh, when it happened, when when it when it airs. Um, so um, anything anything else uh, that you care to uh, mention about um, the the uh, episode with the incredibly long William Blake title? Uh, no, other than you know, thank you for referencing William Blake. It will help an entire generation who've probably never even heard of the poem, hear of the poem. Mm-hmm. The the lit geek in me appreciates that, if nothing else. Well, probably not. I mean, so like, um, it, it is it is a nice poem, but um, I don't think uh, I'm I'm not not entirely convinced that it's gonna inspire young young children to muck it up. No, I meant the older. Yeah, you know, the, the young kids aren't gonna care, but the the you know twelve and up will probably look it up. Mm, possibly. We we can but hope that, yes. that that they're not too busy playing on their Xboxes and PlayStation fours or whatever. Mm. Um. Anyway, that, that's about it for uh, this week. Um, we're we're going to pass on to the interview now with uh, Leonardo Ramirez, who's going to be talking about his uh, fabulous book series and, um, and, and, and various other things that, that, that have actually inspired him to become a writer. You know, so like, uh, I had a, had a lot of fun talking with, uh, with Leonardo uh, last weekend when we recorded this. So here's the interview. written quite a few exciting um, science fiction and, and steampunk, steampunk um, adventure uh, books. And you've also done a comic as well for, for, um, for Marcosia. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks a ton, a ton for having me, Ian. Oh, no. Good to talk to you. No worries. It's, it's actually fun to uh, have somebody new on. Um, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm actually a bit rusty because I've not done one of these interviews in about uh, probably six weeks. <laughs> 
because we, we, we basically just ran off a lot of archive material over the, over the last few weeks, and um, it's stuff that yeah. we, we sort of connected up. Um, anyway, the, I guess the first question is, how did you get into writing? Gosh, um, I've, I've been writing for uh, well over 15, 20 years. I mean, since I was a little kid, loved to scribble. Um, make up stories um, but the first time there was I guess a spark if you want to call it that uh, that lit up in my heart um, was uh, my first year of college we had a uh, creative writing professor who was really 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 tough I mean she was nice and all but just just really tough and I was I was kind of intimidated by her um, so she had us write our first assignment and, um, we turned it in and we got in our little writing groups and, uh, did our work, submitted our, uh, short story is what we had to do. And, um, that was on a Thursday, I believe it was Thursday or Friday. I didn't have her on the Friday. Well, you and I just remember being just scared to death over the weekend because she was just, you know, just really real tough tough uh, professor not easy to please uh, but cordial nonetheless yeah did you use her as a character in your first story did I use her <laughs> you know you know and, and hand, hand the assignment in with her as one of your characters <laughs> I should have that's, that would have been awesome that's a good idea I wish I'd thought of that she, she probably would have liked that actually, you know? yeah she would have loved it <laughs> that's cool she was real eccentric too she had like um, she had like a ring on every finger and just kind of dangled her fingers in front of you a little bit and had just kind of like the high end ponytail with shaggy hair that rustled behind it, you know, as she walked and just kind of bounced up and down. Just real eccentric, but real um, demanding, you know, but I sweated that whole weekend, man. I, I was just scared to death as to what I was what kind of grade I was going to get. But Tuesday came around when I had her again, and uh, she had some really nice things to say, uh, gave me an A. So I thought, huh, if somebody this good, this good of a writer and this demanding thinks that I can, you know, scribble a story on a piece of paper, then heck, why not? And that just really encouraged me from that point on. I, from then on, I was just, oh, I'd love to do this, love to do this. But um, I kind of put it down for a while and then came back to it. Uh, back in 2009, uh, when I had I'd written a, a book treatment, uh, for a prose novel, and uh, Marcosia is is a graphic novel publisher out in the in the UK way, well, where you guys are. Yeah. Um, and uh, they saw the script. I showed them the script, and uh, Harry uh, Harry's a great guy to work with, by the way. I've never actually met Harry, um, but I've met, really? I've met quite a few 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 of the writers from Marcosia. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm good friends with Sai Tan who's uh, done a lot of work for Marcosia and uh, yeah. and I'm also uh, you know quite quite friendly with uh, with Nick Wilkinson who who does a lot of lettering on size books sort of thing. So I've, I've met quite a few a few of the writers from, from Marcosia because okay. they, they a lot of them a lot of them go to a to a convention in, in the north of England called Thought Bubble. Okay. We get to we get to hang out with them there. 
Okay, awesome. Yeah, he's he's a really neat guy, good guy to work with. And I honestly didn't expect to hear a whole lot back because um, pitching your stuff to publishers is just not only is it not fun, but you just really, really have to have thick skin. I mean, I've got a drawer full of rejection, rejection letters. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <clears throat> but um, anyway, uh, he responded and said, hey, this would make a great graphic novel. Can we you know, work it that way? And I said, yeah, sure. Let's do it. And so we did. And uh, Haven was released in 2010, got really good reviews and all, and I had fun doing it. I learned so much, learned a ton from that process. Uh, then after that, um, I thought, you know, I had always wanted to write children's books. Um, so I, I went back and started dabbling in some ideas that I just kind of put on the back burner. And I was sitting in my living room, just kind of typing things out on my laptop. And my daughter, uh, who was 10 at the time, came down the stairs and she says, well, daddy, why don't you write a story about a boy and a girl who go rescue their dad on another planet? Cool. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I looked down at my laptop and I look at what I'd already written and I thought, forget this. And what she just said sounds a whole lot better than what I was writing or working on. And so I said, okay, yeah, I'll do that instead. Yeah, and a whole lot simpler as well. It is. It is. Um, that that's the my Achilles heel is that I, I think that I, I put sometimes I put too much thinking in the into my stories, and sometimes that can be good. Sometimes that can be uh, a little bit of a detriment. Uh, so I'm grateful that I have uh, my wife's a librarian, so she reads all my stuff, and my daughter reads all my stuff and says, you know, they always come back to me say, you know, uh, this. You need to pull back on some of this. Pull back. And I always do. It's all good. But um, that's that's where the Jupiter Chronicles came from. Uh, there has There's not really a whole lot of uh, steampunk for children or science fiction for children of that of the target audience of you know this age group. Um, so I, I wanted to appeal to that group. It's also for reluctant readers, mm -hmm. uh, grades three and up, you know, so it's a, for a younger audience. Um, so I wanted something to appeal to them because they don't have a whole lot to read after they put down a book like Magic Treehouse, which is great, but, you know, not, they don't have anything to read that's not 500 pages. So this is a short, sweet read. There's a ton of backstory to it. It's a rich, deep, thought-out universe that kids can enjoy, and it's still simple. Mm -hmm. so, so what can you tell us about Jupiter Chronicles? Because from, from, from a lot of the artwork that I've seen you were seen you pushing on Twitter and Facebook and, and stuff like that, yeah. it looks, looks like a... What's well, like a fantastically fun, 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 fun universe to, to, to sort of tinker around in, and you know, I'm just wondering uh, what, 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 what can you tell us about the, uh, you know, about, about the uh, settings in which which it, it is a uh, it is all, all taking place in. Well, the the setting it takes place at the turn of the 19th century. Um, and it starts out in New York City, and there's um, Ian and Callie, uh, young kids who whose dad ha has been missing for about five years now. 
and uh, my parents are divorced, so I, you know, since I was a kid, so I can kind of identify with Ian, and that's where a lot of this comes from. But um, Ian's a little bit resentful and angry that their dad disappeared and has been gone, and it starts out on his birthday. And the last gift that their dad left Ian was an, uh, an old rusty telescope in their attic. Um, so on his birthday, Callie goes up um, and decides that she wants to take a look at it, and it becomes, it transforms into a, uh, a steamship that takes them to the uh, steam-powered floating cities of Jupiter. Cool. And that's where their father is, uh, and he's been in prison there for the last five years. So, so the, the telescope is kind of like the device in which they travel. So it's almost a little, yeah. bit, a little bit like the wardrobe in Nine Witch and Wardrobe. Then. Right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the telescope becomes a device that, that or a ship, takes them there, and when they get there, they not only find that their dad had been in prison there, but that he, at one point, had been ruler of what's called the Jovian realms. Every moon of Jupiter is a planet that surrounds uh, Jupiter um, and is part of a, a, a system of, of worlds. Each world is unique in its own, where it has its own society, but they were part of a bigger picture. Yeah. So um, they get there and they find that not only has their dad been imprisoned, but uh, the Jovian people have been subjugated by uh, the emperor of uh, a Martian emperor called Phobos. So this this sounds like uh, this sounds like uh, like, like it could be fun for adults as well. <laughs> well, that's that's what I keep hearing. Yeah, it's like parents will buy this for their kids and you say you know they love it for their kids and their kids love it and all. But now you know parents are getting into it as well. So which I think is great because mm-hmm. it's going to be the parents who buy the book. So. But yeah, that I identify a lot with, with Ian because my parents were divorced and I grew up in a single parent family. So there's some issues there that he has to deal with. But at the same time, you know, you want to make it fun and, you know, with, with steam powered ships and fire flights and flying through the air with jetpacks on your, on your back and fighting robots called doom slayers. Uh, so there's, it's nonstop action from cover to cover. Cool. Um, is it is this just um, is this just a book ser- series or, or do you plan to sort of like kind of go go the whole whole gamut and go sort of like multimedia um, as in may- maybe maybe uh, animated cartoon series uh, video game stuff like that? Well, that's what this Kickstarter effort is all about. I've uh, been talking to uh, Mike Halsey over at Magnetic Dreams, and they did some really cool animated uh, motion comics, Iron Man, Extremis, and the other one was Thor and Loki Blood Brothers. They've done those, and if you've not seen them or not, Google them because they look really cool. But um, they, I've, I've been working with them, and if this Kickstarter works out, then they'll produce an animated short that will show to as many people as possible and use it as a launching pad to uh, pitch a series. And we'd like to go that route. We'd like to go into games and still keep the book series going. I suppose you could, you could also, um, you know, a cheaper option would maybe, um, well, not necessarily cheaper because it'd probably still be quite expensive, but perhaps audio dramas. 
No, that's a good idea. I like that. Because, yeah. you know, we can, you, although, although you won't, won't, wouldn't have all the visual sort of IQs, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you'd be able to uh, get some wicked sound effects for the various steam-powered things within the uh, within the universe and stuff like that. Okay, now you've got my cogs and wheels turning, because I really, really like that idea. <laughs> well, it's just a um, some some. It's just a thought that that I had because you know I I've got a friend called Barry Nugent here in the UK. He's built his own universe up um, called Fallen Heroes, and he's he spun off comic books from it, and he's also spun off um, a fair few audio dramas, and and kind of more and more people kind of gotten involved with it. Um, from 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 the starting point, which was his novel sort of thing. So. so did he produce this himself? Yeah, he self-published. He, he self-published, and uh, then then he then then he did a comic book series, which was also self-published, and uh, and some some pe he, he met some people, and uh, you know with, with his help and guidance, because he he holds the rules to the universe. Um, he he basically produced um, audio dramas, which which he sells at conventions and stuff. So, wow! You know? But you know that, that's that's kind of Barry. He's kind of like a very enterprising. I kind of see him as a, as the classic bonding and stroking a white cat. <laughs> he's, like, he's sort of like got that. Well, he's not he's not a megalomaniac or anything like that. But he's he's sort of got that. Um, he's kind of got that little bit of mystique going on there. Really? Yeah. It's funny. And he's, he's probably listening to this show right now. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, um, how how far in are you on the Kickstarter campaign? Have you? Uh, how much do you need to make, and you know, to sort of make it happen? And uh, how much of, are you at at the moment? Well, um, we're only five days into it. We've got uh, twenty-five days to go, and we need one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. Um, and being that we've just launched, we're just a little over $300, so we need a lot of help. Mm-hmm. A lot. <laughs> okay, well, um, you know, what, what, yeah. what's the, what's the uh, link to the Kickstarter um, campaign, is it? You know, do what now? Yeah, the, you know, because what we can do is we can throw the link to the Kickstarter campaign on the website and um, in, in, in the literature um, for, for, this, for this episode. Oh, that would be lovely. But, um, Thank you so much. Oh, don't, don't worry about him. So it sounds like a sounds like a fun project, and um, I kind of want to see more steampunk permeating into the mainstream of science fiction because we don't really have much of it. No, we don't. We don't, and I, that's something I'd like to change as well. I'm with you on that. Um, I've heard people say that steampunk is on its way out. Whereas I, I take a different spin on that and, and think that I think the steampunk community needs a property to, to rally around. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got your Star Wars fans that rally around Star Wars. Yes, they're, they are fans of science fiction. Um, and then you've got your Star Trek fans that rally around Star Trek. Um, I, I would love for this to become something like that uh, in regards to steampunk. So we'll see. And still have people who love science fiction because I grew up on science fiction. I grew up on Star Trek and Star Wars. And, and like we were talking before we went on the air, uh, Ninja Turtles. So. Oh, hi, Ninja Turtles. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, in, I, I grew up on. It's it's funny because um, I I I um I, I was sort of like a child of the seventies, 
and um, and the 80s. So I kind of I was I grew up in both those periods where mm-hmm. there wasn't very much science fiction on the TV. You know, you had yeah. you had the six million dollar man and the bionic woman. Then you had re- then you had lots of repeats of Star Trek. And then then at some point in the uh, in in the early 80s here in the UK. Uh, we, we started getting Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers, which were actually made in the late 70s, but we didn't Yeah, those were made in the late 70s. I remember I grew up on those as well, just like you did. But we and did, I love those shows. We didn't, we didn't actually see them until around about, um, probably around about 80, 81 or 82 in this country, you know, really? in terms of the television series. Um, I think think Battlestar Galactica. I seen the movie in '78 when they released it. They, they released it theatrically here in the UK, but we didn't actually see the TV series in the UK till around about 1981. Now, when they released the first Battlestar Galactica movie, uh, do, do you remember a uh, sound gimmick that they had in the theaters called Sense Around? Do you remember that? Oh yeah, yeah. They I remember they released the first movie in Sense Around. And, uh, of course, that's probably, you know, standard sound now. <laughs> but uh, I remember it was it was just so cool because every time a Viper would leave the ship, uh, you know, your seat would vibrate underneath you. And all it was is just them turning up the, the, uh, the, the bass up quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, guess it was a, I guess it was cheaper than sticking a subwoofer under every single seat in the cinema. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, would you say would you say that the, um, the these TV shows that, that that you grew up with? Because it sounds like you grew up with the same stuff that I did. Yeah. Um, would you say they 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 perhaps being one of your biggest influences going forward as a writer? Or? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, not not just the TV shows, but I like the shows that you mentioned. I also grew up on those uh, BSG and Buck Rogers and the movies and Star Wars and Star Trek. And then I got uh, I got heavily into Next Generation when it released. I watched every Trek series um, after that as well. And I, I tried Babylon 5 uh, for a while and enjoyed it. But at the time, it's funny, at the time there was like this DS9 or Deep Space Nine versus Babylon 5, which one is better, kind of like a Star Wars, Star Trek argument you know and i keep i kept teetering back and forth but ultimately i drifted back to deep space nine and and was just enthralled with it yeah i couldn't decide so i just watched both um i think to be honest uh, deep space nine uh, mm-hmm. started off um started off rather slowly it uh, did and didn't take off to around about the uh, to around about the second season there's not a babylon five fans that accuse star trek deep space nine of, of borrowing yeah. ideas from from it and stuff like that, and and vice versa. But at, at the end of the day, I, I just enjoyed both shows. I, I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed Babylon Five because I think it was more grounded in reality from from yeah. sense of politics and, uh, and 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 how 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 various government systems work and and stuff like that. And 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 I think the uh, I think Star Trek: Deep Space Nine did that to a certain extent, but kind of simplified it a little bit more. Yeah, you know. But I, I enjoyed both series. Well, my problem was that I didn't have a DVR back then. I would have recorded both shows. Mm. You know, I think they were on at the same time, weren't they? Um, I think they were here. Not not here in England. They were on at around about the same time in terms of they came out around about you know within a couple of years of each other. Yeah. Um, but here in England, the trouble we had is. 
they, they started showing it on a Monday evening at 6pm, just as you was getting back from work. And then, uh-huh. around up the second or third season, they started moving the time slot around. So it, it moved to a it moved to a Sunday at noon, and then it had moved to sort of like a Wednesday at you know at eleven pm, and then then it would move it. They 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 they, they never really. After its first couple of years on television, it never had a regular, regular time slot. They kind of moved it around every season. Yeah, see, that always kills the show when they do that. So you know, that kind of like uh, made it really difficult for us to follow in, in the UK. So I, I didn't actually see the whole of Babylon 5 until about two years after it had gone off the air. <laughs> because of that. Uh-huh. So but I, I, I enjoy both series. Um, it's, it's sort of like... Uh, you know, I, I can't choose between between Star Trek and, and Battleman Five because I've never really been loyal to one franchise. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. you get these people that they call themselves Trekkies or Trekkers, sort of thing, yeah. who who know pretty much everything there is to know about Star Trek and then some. <laughs> and you know, I know quite a bit about Star Trek, but I also know quite a bit about Doctor Who, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, and, and stuff like that. Um, because I I I, um, I never chose to sort of like specialise in, in in one show or just be completely loyal to one show. But I think it's um, it's like you as a writer, you, you know, you, you don't want to get pigeonholed as right. for young adults and and stuff like that. You'd rather just be seen as a writer. Whereas right. me, I'd rather just be seen as an all round sci fi fan. <laughs> you know, That's awesome. and and just watch everything. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, even if I hate it, which uh, was the case with the remake of Battlestar Galactica, I didn't particularly enjoy that. Oh no! Don't say that. Did you not really like it? I, I just felt it. I felt it was a bit too dark. They needed to win a bit more. And um, Starbuck, I just wanted to shoot her out the air lock right from the first season, <laughs> and, and 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 make her never come back. And I was really disappointed in Ron Moore when he killed her off because she didn't stay dead. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. So like, um, think the thing is about British sci-fi. Unless it's Doctor Who, if you kill a character, it stays dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's not American sci-fi. Yeah. I mean, Cap- Captain Kirk is uh, probably the best. And Spock are the best example of that. They just don't stay dead. Yeah, they, they, you know. So like, uh, the Col- the Ashi Maru is uh, is actually successfully killing them. I guess. Right. Right. <laughs> Now, have you heard that William Shatner is supposedly in the next Star Trek? I, I've heard, I've heard about it, and um, you know, he came out and denied it initially, and then he said that he has been approached and, and this yeah. and that. Um, I've got a feeling everyone's going to be talking about this until until, until it actually happens. You know, yeah. but it's it's kind of like uh, the last Star Trek movie. I wasn't too keen on what they did with Khan and, and the reboot sort of thing. Yeah, I, I wasn't too crazy about that one. I loved the first one. I was not happy with the Khan angle, not at all. And 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 also the inversion of those lines where 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 Kurt dies and Spock goes Khan. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, and that was just, cheesy. I just it, it just it wasn't really cheesy. It was just crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that guess I was trying to be too nice. <laughs> you know, but it, it was crap. You're right. It was. It really was. You know, it's just. Um, it just seemed to me. It just seemed very, very lazy of the writers to do that. You know, it's lazy writing. And it oh, also, let's take this script and just flip it around a little bit. Yeah, and it also 
also, I was just really, really disappointed that they used Khan because about two years before they were talking about using, they would say, you know, they were denying it and saying we're not gonna, the next one's not gonna have Khan in, and and the fandom was going, going, oh, the next Star Trek movie's gonna have Khan in and stuff like that, and and they, they yeah. officially kept on denying it and denying it and denying it until eventually, as we get to the end of the news cycle on the movie, it, it became apparent that it was going to be Khan. Yeah. And 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 I was I was just kind of disappointed that they just didn't create a new villain. Well, what did you think about the casting? Uh, of, of Cumberbatch. And, well, you know, so like, um, he's the most British-looking Latino I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it, it <laughs> didn't, didn't work for me, you know. So like, uh, to me, Ricardo Montalban is still can. He kind of like defined yeah. that role, and to see anyone else play, play play that role, it doesn't matter who plays it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? What? What's on like uh, minority or, or or what? What? What the background they're from? It doesn't matter who plays it. They're just never going to be able to song like uh, you know create what what Mount Mountabam created in in Space Seed and and uh, Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I think that's why I think they should have just left it alone. You know, it's 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 just a. Uh, that that character for me is is is, a, is just a one off. Yeah. You know, it's just a you know, it just doesn't it doesn't work. Whoever you ca- whoever you're going to cast, it's just not going to work. Right. Right. Yeah. I I don't know how they're going to plug Kirk into or William Shatner, I should say, into this next one. But um, I say enough with the cameos and move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I think what it is, they should actually send uh, Shatner's Kirk, you know, into the parallel universe to uh, to kill Spock. Because the older Spock being in the parallel universe is sort of like he's doing a, 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 a irreparable damage to the timelines. So he has to die. <laughs> and at the end of it, you know, the older Kirk has to blow his brains out as well. Now, if that's the plot, you're probably about to have some agents that kick down your door and no, no, you're getting out of black. <laughs> no, Kirk can't take his old knife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, you know, the, the only person that can take Kirk's knife is himself because everyone else has tried and, you know, failed miserably. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's very true. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, we, we kind of got sidetracked here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I'm just um, I'm just wondering um, how, how much. What 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 can you tell us about the the other book you did, Haven? I did um, first the graphic novel release through Marcosia. That was Haven, the graphic novel, and then after that, I did uh, book one of the Jupiter Chronicles. And then after that, I wanted to because uh, Haven was always meant to uh, be a prose novel. And there was a, a lot of story in there to tell, um, especially where she was during the missing two years. Now, I, I, you know, I totally get that a lot of the listeners probably haven't read it, read either book, but Haven of Dante um, released in uh, 2012, two years ago. Um, and it, it pretty much details where she was missing. Because what happens is that she, or the setting of that one is that she's a descendant of the original Dante Alighieri, and they've been fighting uh, the Nine Circles of Hell for generations. And the Nine Circles of Hell are a group called, they call themselves the aristocracy, and they've been embedded in different levels of society, 
you know, you don't know who they are. You don't know, um, if it's a person that you're dealing with is a member of the aristocracy or not because they possess people. Um, but it, it takes place in, in that setting in, in present day, of course, but she's always had, uh, or she's had, uh, there, there have been, I should say, other people in the history of the Dante family line who have taken up her mantle. And, uh, so now it's, now it's Haven's turn in this book. But what happens is that she is assaulted and just kind of left for dead by the aristocracy um, because they know that she's about to take up the mantle. And when she does, she's taking she's taken up into purgatory where she has to um, go through some trials. Ooh, yeah, yeah. This sounds like it'd be an impressive film. I, yeah, I've had people tell me that, but yeah, she um, she has to go through some trials, and when she comes back, she's she's different. She's very different. She has powers. Um, she can manipulate her, her the dense her her molecular density to where she can make her fist you know really tight and smash through a wall, or she can make herself so light that she can fly. But all these things have to happen. All these things that she can do have to happen in the midst of her facing a fear. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's it, in her weakness she's made strong. So so she can't really do these things unless her unless her knife is in in, in jeopardy. It's kind of like a fight off night response. Right. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, you know, that you know that's some that's something that um that that that, that I, I, I love about uh, science fiction and fantasy is when it's when a writer is is very clearly defining what the rules are of, of yeah. that, that particular person's power because uh, you, you get a lot of people that don't 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 even think to define you know don't, don't, you know any, any sort of like rules or boundaries for their characters right and, you know when when they can't use a particular power or, or something like that. Uh, for example, with, with Dresden Files, um, as a result of his magical uh, of his magic and stuff like that, he can't be around anything electronic for too long because it just sort of like shorts out mm. and, and and stuff like that. It's um, you know, it's um, you know, I, I I just think that's a really cool idea that 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 you know that that she can't use her powers unless she's sort of like in a fight or flight situation. I think that's right, quite right. And, it, and it's usually a fear. I mean, sometimes it's a natural fear, like she has a fear of heights, um, but it's also a fear that is related to her her experience of, of getting uh, beat up and thrown out of a window or assaulted. Ooh, yeah. Um, okay, well, um, be- before we go, um, okay. could you, uh, you know, sort of like plug your websites and, and, and whatever? So we can... Yeah, yeah. Right now, like I like we mentioned before, we're running the Kickstarter on the Jupiter Chronicles. That's the one that I'm really focused on now. So if um, if folks want to go to jupiterchronicles.com, uh, you'll see you'll see the Kickstarter information on the front, and there's also tons and tons of information on the worlds of Jupiter, the backstory, um, the Chrono Legion, the, the Book of Worlds. Um, and I also invented a martial art for Jovians called Praxedo uh, that you can learn about there, a history of Mars. Um, everything is on that website. 
Okay. So there's a lot of potential for this for this property for uh, games and books, and it just can just go on forever. Yeah, so. well, uh, well, fingers crossed. Um, you know, we, we we can actually help you get 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 a bit of money for this um, because I, I'd like to see this go forward. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I really appreciate the help that that you've already been, and that means a lot. Uh, no, no worries. Because I, I, yeah, I want to see this go forward. It sounds like a really cool universe to play around in, and um, you know, if it gets made into a cartoon series or, or even even a film for young adults, I, I'm gonna be right there watching it. Awesome. You know, so you, you kind of you kind of won me over. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's okay. cool. Um, but fa- thanks a lot for joining us on the on the show. Um, it's been great having you on, and um, you know you're welcome to come back on anytime you've got something new to talk about. So well, thank you, thanks. I, I, well, I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed this. Well, me too. So well, thanks a lot for being on. Radioactive robot lizard, but with horn rimmed glasses and a pocket protector. <laughs> That's nerdy. We're on the rampage, laying waste to the geek landscape. We'll talk movies, TV, comics, toys, video games, and sometimes we talk turkey. Don't you mean chicken? <laughs> That's right. So check us out at megapodzilla.com. We're also available on iTunes and the Zoom Marketplace. Aw, yeah. <laughs> Remember when science fiction drama envisioned stories that were happening where no one had gone before? Discovering and exploring other worlds far, far away. While many of these series and films became cult classics, somewhere along the way, this genre got lost. Imagine if there was a place where you could go watch exciting new space opera series made specifically for the niche audience that you are. Imagine if this place was conducted by a team as passionate as you about science fiction and who would use all their background experience to make sure you get the best entertainment possible. SOS is a not-for-profit independent production facility that brings together writers, special effects wizards, and other creative talent from around the world who've worked on some of the most recognizable and respected science fiction franchises. So throw away your remote control. And get real control by joining the Space Opera Society right now. With as little as $1, you can change the future of entertainment today. For more information, please visit our website. Which is, of course, spaceoperasociety.com. Where all your questions will be answered in our frequently asked questions page. And don't miss our short video presentation from some of our Space Opera series in development. And I'll step off the limb. That's one small step for man. Hi, my name is Steve Lund, and I play the character of Nick Sorrentino on the sci-fi and space series Bitten. You are listening to Sci-Fi PulseRadio.com, taking the pulse of sci-fi. And that's about it for this week. We'll be back again as ever next week. Um, or we're actually going to take a couple of weeks break. And what we're going to do is we're going to do one episode where we do review 
of both parts of the Dot 2 finale back to back and we'll also have an interview with that uh, particular episode as well. So thanks for listening and we'll be back at you real soon.